Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You can be seated. My name is Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and it really is great to, to be here with all of you, celebrating, contemplating, reminiscing on, praying through uh, the whole meaning of this Good Friday, the night in which Jesus was crucified. The passage that we had just heard from Hebrews 12, it's an incredible passage, really. He li- the author likens the Christian walk as an endurance race because there's going to be some hardship involved in this. It's an endurance race. And since it is an endurance race, it says make sure you're not carrying any extra weight. I used to run endurance races way, way back when. And uh, uh, you don't want to have any extra weight. That adds up over, t- over time. It slows you down. And then he mentions specifically set aside every sin, because that's the kind of thing that can really slow you down in this race called the Christian life. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus at all times. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's run the race before us. He shows us kind of what this race looks like. In case you're wondering what it looks like, it looks like Calvary. It involves sacrifice. This author here is talking to Christians who are facing possible persecution in the near future, and he's saying, take heart, because this is what you signed up for. You're following that guy. It's a race. It requires endurance. And uh, uh, keep your eyes fixed on him. And they said that, Jesus despised the shame that he was going to endure. And that's an important word. Uh, the reason the Romans, Romans crucified folks is because uh, it, was, it was a form of terrorism. They were installing terror in people. They were saying, if you mess with us, this is what happens to you. And so crucifixion was designed for two things. One is maximal pain and suffering. The other one is maximal humiliation. The Romans were experts at both. They wanted to humiliate, completely humiliate, all of their victims because that's sending the message, this is what happens to you when you mess with Rome. So these victims of crucifixion were typically stripped naked in public. And there's all sorts of mocking that went around that. And, and they just turned this into a form of entertainment for the crowds. Uh, they were whipped naked, and they're crucified naked. In all probability, Jesus was crucified absolutely naked. People on the, walking by the paths who could see the crosses on the hills would often taunt, further taunt, further inflict misery on these, these unfortunate folks. Jesus saw that shame. He knew what was coming, but he, he disregarded it, it says. He considered it nothing. And the reason he considered it nothing, it was worth going through. He will suffer that. Though he's God of the universe, he becomes a human being and he's willing to suffer this kind of humiliation and this kind of pain for the joy that was set before him, the author says. Even the cross was motivated by joy. 
involved incredible pain. He sweat drops of blood. He, he wanted to avoid it, if at all possible, but yet for the joy set before him, he was willing to endure this and willing to suffer its shame. And the joy that was set before him was seeing all who would come to be reconciled to God because of what he was about to do. Seeing the masses of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation who would be reconciled to God and spending eternity with, 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 with the triune God because of what this was going to accomplish. That's what motivated Jesus. I'm willing to do it for that. But the joy that Jesus had before him, and this is what I want us to see tonight, it wasn't just for the masses of people. It wasn't just for the people of every tribe and every tongue. They'll praise God for that. The multitude. And the heart of God, this will include everybody because God wants everybody in. So yes, God, Jesus had joy seeing that, but it also gave him joy just to see you. Part of the joy that was set before him was you. See, love is always particular. And, and, and uh, it's not the mass of people that is motivating Jesus. It's his love for each particular person, including the particular you. We need to know that there's a dimension of our relationship with God that, that, that we're, we're, has an envelope, a side to it, that is about intimacy and closeness with God that we're all, all, always to be pushing. This is something that, that the Lord's been dealing with me lately. With, which I, 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 thought, I thought I had gotten as honest and open and intimate a relation with God as possible, and I think I've been coasting on that for some time. And the Lord is saying, no, there's more. There's more. Keep, don't, stay hungry. Don't, don't give up on me. Stay, keep pressing in. On this level of dimension, a, 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 a privacy with God, a to know that the love is personal, it's for me. It's not for humanity in general, but it's towards me. He died for me. He died for you. Internalize this. His joy was over you. He rejoices over you. He desperately loves you. He would do and has done everything possible to have an eternal relationship with you. He loves the, seeing the, the prospect of you being healed and delivered and set free and full of his joy and full of his love and dancing with the triune God throughout eternity. It wasn't just the tribes and the nations he loved. He loved you. And see, all of us know this. This is so basic. But it's also just so profound. See, you can know that God loves you. Probably most of us here believe that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so, right? But it's one thing to know something, and it's another thing to really know it. You can know about something. You can know everything about something, but that doesn't mean you know the thing. It's like... At the end of the movie Goodwill Hunting, which is one of my top three movies of all time, I just love it. Uh, there's this young man played by Matt Damien, who's a genius mathematician, and he was terribly, terribly abused uh, growing up as a child. And his therapist is a guy who's played by Robin Williams. And at one point, Robin Williams just says to him, "You know, this is not your fault." And and Will in Goodwill Hunting, he says, uh, "I know that." And Robin Williams says, "It's not your fault." And Matt Damien says, "I know that." He says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon starts to get irritated. I know that already, okay? Are you trying to mess with me? And, just keeps on, and Robin Williams just keeps on saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And then at one point, all of a sudden, the coin drops in the slot. And Will, played by Matt Damon, just becomes undone. Undone. And it's because on one level, he knew it was not his fault. But on another level, he was carrying around all that guilt and all that shame. You can know something... But you don't really know it. Do we know that, that God, do you know that God loves you? That Jesus did this for you? He bore the shame for you. The thing about this, like, who are you really? 
Who is the you that Jesus loves? One of the reasons I think we feel like sometimes some of us feel like we're just sort of loved as part of the crowd that God loves. He's, we're the one of us that Jesus loves. And, and one of the reasons we can feel like that is because every descriptor we could give about ourselves doesn't really get to the core of who we are as individuals. Every, everything you can say about yourself, you share with other people. So whatever you share, whatever words you use, whatever labels you use, they don't get to the real you. We've been thinking about this a lot around here at Woodland Hills Church the last couple of weeks. It's how labels, uh, they, they block love because they, they, they don't get to the real person, the core of the real person. So let's find out about you. Are you human? Yes, you're human. Well, you share that with 8 billion other people. Are you male, female, or confused somewhere in between? Well, whatever you say, you, you, you share that with other people, multitudes of other people. Are, are you uh, European or African or Asian or, 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 or North American or South American or Af South African or Russian or whatever? What national, whatever answer you give, you share that with multitudes of other people. Are you religious or non-religious? And if you're religious, are you Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu or Sikh or Taoist or what have you? And if you're Christian, are you Catholic or Protestant? If you're Protestant, are you Baptist or Lutheran or, 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 or Presbyterian or one of the other 2,000 denominations have out there? But whatever, whatever answer you give. Whatever answer it is, you share that with a bunch of other people. It doesn't get to the uniqueness of you. Are you tall? Are you short? Are you skinny or not so skinny? Uh, you know, are you straight? Are you gay? Are you transgender? Are you just all over the map? Uh, whatever you say, it's, it's not that distinctive of you. Who's the particular you? The you after all the labels have been stripped away and all the commonalities have been stripped away. Are you Democratic or Republic? Are you a socialist, communist, totalitarian, fascist, Green Party, whatever? Whatever answer you give, it's maybe something about you, but it's not you. You are literally one of a kind, sui generis. You're one of a kind. And see, that's what God loves, is that particularity. Imagine this, if you can. Imagine for a moment that you were the only being that God created. You're the only one. It's just you. You are hanging out with the triune God. You're an only child, and that's, so far as you know, how it will be throughout eternity. Think about this. In that situation, if you were all alone, and you are the entire creation, you wouldn't be a this or a that, right? You wouldn't be a you're either European or you're African or you're Canadian or you're whatever, fill in the blank. You wouldn't be a this or a that. There's no categories you fit into because everything about you, everything about you would be utterly, utterly unique. Utterly unique. You're not a this or a that. There's no labels, no comparisons, no evaluations because you're alone. There's nothing to evaluate you with. And you are, if you're the only thing that God ever created, you are the sole object of God's attention and, 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 and affection. You are God's only child. God loves you with the perfect, everlasting love. There's none other to love. You are it. All of God's attention is on you. All of God's love is burning towards you because you are utterly, utterly unique, not of this or of that. Now listen to me. Because that is exactly how God does love you. And that is exactly how God does see you. As though you are the only one that God has created. See, God's attention, God's wisdom, God's love, it's limitless, right? It's limitless. It can't be, there's no limit to it. It's, it's virtually infinite. Not virtually infinite, it is infinite. And you can't fraction up infinity. Half of infinity is just as big as all of infinity. A third of infinity, a quarter of infinity, 
one hundredth of infinity, go on, go on, however you want, it's still the same amount. You can't fraction up infinity. So just because there's eight billion people for God to love and to know doesn't mean that his, his love is spread thin because of that. It's as though God loves you as though you were the only one that existed. And that's true for every person that exists. Because God's love can't be fractioned up. All of his attention and all of his love is burning towards you right now, this very moment. As though he had nothing else to do but to look at you and to, to love you. That is how God loves us. And see, there's a part of our relationship with God where we need to get to that place where we experience that as though it was only you dimension of God's love. That's what intimacy is. To experience that, it's, it's as though it was just you and him. Because as a matter of fact, that's how intense God's love it is. We need to have times where we can experience that. Now, it's also true that you, who you are is inseparable from your community, uh, your biological family, your church family. Who you are is wrapped up in your relationships. That's very, very true. And it's true that we are made in God's image, and so we are made for relationship. We're made for community. That's, that's very true. And a part of our, a large part of, an important part of our relationship with God has got to be doing God with other people, worshiping God with other people, learning about God with other people, ministering in the kingdom with other people. That's absolutely essential. We need this communal dimension, but we also need this other dimension, which can so easily get lost. And this is that, 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 completely intimate, personal, even private kind of relationship with God. It's a just you and Jesus kind of a space. It's the kind of space that is reserved for lovers and very, very best friends. Where there's things you share that, we, that you wouldn't share outside of that circle. And the, the exceptionality and exclusiveness of, of, of the closed circle is what makes it so special. Part of what makes my relationship with my wife Shelly so special is that we share things that no one knows about and, and needs to learn about. It's just us. That's the specialness of it. And we need that in our relationship with God. This, this, this I'm into you as though you're the only one who exists kind of dimension of God's love. Our hearts yearn for that kind of love. I remember the first time I kind of just first experienced this. Now, it's really for me. I, I was, uh, probably, it was shortly after we started Woodland Hills Church and um, I was preparing for a sermon, and I got this idea. It was like a revelation. It's once in a while this happens where it comes out of the blue and just kind of zaps you. It's like, whoa, and you know it's of God because you would never come up with this on your own. And this is beautiful. This is, and I was suddenly so excited to preach this. Like, oh, this would be, oh, I can share this. And I felt the Spirit check, put a check in me. And it was, it was as though the Lord was saying, Greg, that's not for them. I'm saying that to you. And I had this kind of a feeling of like, me? You're saying that to me? That, that, that beautiful thing there applies to me? I'm not supposed to share that? I've always had an easier time communicating what God thinks about you than what he thinks about me. And um, wow, I just remember being zapped by that. It was like, me? Because what it's communicating is that I'm not just someone God wants to use. I'm someone we're talking to. He wants to talk with me. His attention's on me. He's in love with me. And oh, that feeds a hungry soul. How that heals a broken soul. How that mends wounds. That dimension of love. That dimension that you get to where you're, 
You're, you're, you're touching souls with, with, with the Lord. Your, your heart is open to the Lord where he's pouring his love into you. Oh, that, that's where the healing happens. That's where the life happens. That's where you drink of your worth and your identity and your significance. That's what you were created for. That is to your soul what air is to your lungs. We desperately need that, that place of intimacy. We need to carve out times where we can see that Jesus endured the shame, not just for all the tribes of the world and all the peoples of the world, but he endured the shame for you, as though you were the only one that he ever created and ever had to rescue. His joy that drove him to the cross was seeing you, and you need to have times where you just drink that in. The depth of God's love. Paul one time prayed, oh, I pray that you with all the saints could know what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. You can know that love that passes all knowledge. But how do you know a love that passes all knowledge? The only way you can know a love that passes all knowledge is by knowing that you don't know it. It's beyond your knowledge. It's incomprehensible. And the minute you get that, it goes deeper than you could ever fathom. It's more beautiful than you could ever think. The minute you grasp that, you're beginning to grasp it. And all of that love is towards you. You're not of this or that to God. You maybe are in society. Society always labels this and that. You're that crowd or this crowd. You belong in that category, that category. God just sees you. No categories. You and all of your individuality and all of your uniqueness and all of the good aspects, the healthy aspects, all of the broken aspects, he sees you and he loves you. He doesn't ever know you as belonging to something more general. You're never an example of something else. You're never part of a category. You are always, before God, the individual that you are, apart from all other evaluations, comparisons, labels, or what have you. The cross was for you. See, here's the thing. To experience that, folks, to experience that, well, let me put it like this. I, I, I've said this before, that the cross is the place of intimacy with God. And I've described that before as, on the cross, God is saying, into me see. Into me see. Look into me. Because the cross is the window into the heart of hearts of God. God's heart of hearts. The cross is, is our, it, it, we, we see what God is like all the way down to God's very, very essence. He's there, naked, if you will, saying, look into me, see my heart, see what I'm really like. Know me. Jesus says that that is eternal life, to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, John 17, 3. Know me, because to know him is eternal life. Know me, look into me. But see, that only, it only begins to bring about the healing and the transformation of the kingdom when we reciprocate, when we say, into me see. Can we do that before God? To open up our hearts, our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, and say, look into to me. To seek after that intimacy with God. That's what intimacy is. Now, you, it's possible to have a generic kind of relation with God. A lot of people do. Uh, you, you just sort of settle for the, you know, the, the, the usual thing. You, you go to church once in a while. You pray once in a while. Maybe you volunteer once in a while. You're, you're a good, good Christian, and that's wonderful. But, but there's no passion to it. You, you've lost that intimacy with God. It happens in a marriage sometimes where you, you kind of start coasting, and before you know it, you're just sort of roommates and, and, and you've lost that passion. Your, your souls are no longer touching. You're just familiar with each other. Don't, God doesn't want a familiar with each other sort of relationship. Uh, God doesn't want a generic kind of relationship, a surface kind of relationship, a just get by relationship. God, his very essence is passionate, outpouring, other-oriented love. And God wants to share that passion with us. 
that love, to invite us in on that very love. In fact, the goal of the whole thing is for our relationship with God to replicate the relationship that God has with God's own self. That the Trinity, the triune love, will get caught up in that and it will be expanded. But to do it, we've got to let Jesus in to every room of our house. Every room, not just the foyer where you do all the nice niceties and not just the kitchen where you present your best foot forward or even at the supper table where you have nice like conversations about things or even in the dining room where maybe once in a while conversations get a little more significant. That's good, but God wants to go beyond the dining room into your bedroom and into the bathroom and into the basement and into that closet in the basement where all your secrets are locked and all the things that no one else knows are there. And the idea of inviting Jesus in could bring about a lot of shame, a lot of fear, because a lot of us have spent a lot of time protecting that, maybe ignoring that, pretending like it's not there. Uh, Jesus, Jesus wants to look at that. But you got to remember, we're not inviting in Dr. Chevert from Les Miserables, okay? We're, and we're not, or some Pharisee or some lawyer or Robert Mueller or some accuser or some attorney or whatever. No, this isn't an interrogation. We invite Jesus in not to interrogate us, but just to love us in all of that. And see, that's what makes us whole. If we can let Jesus into the innermost cranny, the ugliest, deepest, darkest secrets we have. And see, here's the thing. A lot of times people... They think that you know, you've got a wound and it leads to this behavior that's destructive and bad. And, and, and you know that God's not for it because it's destructive and bad. But you're not ready to get, get rid of it yet. You don't even know how you do life without that drug or without that drink or whatever it might be. And since you're not willing to give it up, you think that you can't bring it before God. Uh, you know, God, God will only heal you if, if you're willing to give up the behavior. But see, folks, the behavior is the symptom. The wound is the problem. And saying that you've got to get rid of your symptoms before God will heal your wound is like saying that you've got to get rid of your, your, your pneumonia symptoms before the doctor can heal your pneumonia. It doesn't work like that. It's the other way around. We've got to let God love us, even when we have stuff that we don't want to get rid of. But admit that. Be honest. Just be honest. And let him love you in the midst of that. And watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because see, as, as we just allow God to love us in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the unfixedness, in the midst of we don't even want to change this, in the midst of all that, bring up the ugliest thing you've got, the worst thing you've got, the most terrible, disgusting thing you've got. He already knows it's there. In fact, he's already experienced it. He took care of it 2,000 years ago on Calvary. He said, already there. All you've got to have is you've got nothing but to gain but to open it up. And see, it's, it's into me. See, just, just let him look. The loving eyes of Jesus on the wound is what heals the wound and sets the captive free. Hallelujah. Just let him look. Just, just look. It's like a little, like a parent just saying, can I look at your owie? Can we let him look at our owie? Into me see. The deep, the dark, the ugly. And see, there's something about that. Just letting God look into the, the privacy, that intimate moment there. That, that is where you begin to experience the love that is, as though you were the only one that God created. We need to experience the depth of that, the width of that, the joy of that, the beauty of that, that intimacy, intimacy. Can we let him into all that? Can we trust him enough to do that? You have to trust that he is as beautiful as he says he is in order to let him in that deeply. Right now, I'd like us just to do this little quick mental exercise. You're in your, the room of your life, the house of your life, and you and Jesus are in the foyer. And I, I, Holy Spirit, help us to envision Jesus in a way that's helpful for each individual here in this sacred space, this private space. Manifest yourself in the way that the people need to see you. 
to have full healing. Full healing. And then Jesus asks, I'd like to love you in your basement. And if you're willing, will you just lead him down into your basement? And Jesus says, I'd like to love you with what is in your closet. And right now, I ask, if you're willing, you don't have to be committing or promising to get rid of this thing or anything. Will you just go into the closet and bring out some kind of representation of that thing? And just come and give it to Jesus. And listen to Jesus say to you in this sacred moment, I don't know you or love you as a this or a that. You're not one of those or one of these. You don't belong to this or belong to that. Or part of this or part of that. I know every tape you've heard and it's running in your brain says some version of that, but I'm telling you, you're not a this or a that. You're a you. And I love you. With the same love and the same intensity I would have if you were the only one who ever existed. My love for you does not waver one iota because of that thing you just took out of the closet. My love for you is identical. And have Jesus come and hug you with that thing. He loves you with the thing, and that is what will get you free of the thing. Create that secret space, that private space, that inner space, that intimacy space, that lover's space, that best friend's space, that soul-touching space. Find it with God and never, never, never get used to it. Stay hungry. He doesn't want a subtle relationship with us. He wants passion. He wants intimacy. He wants intimacy. Okay, we're going to celebrate communion here tonight as we reflect on the, the meaning of Jesus' death for us. And as, as we do it, I... I, I I pray you let the Holy Spirit, however this works in your life, but we need a Robin Williams who will just come to us and say, the love was for you, it was for you, it was for you. And our instinct is to say, yeah, 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 we know, we, we, we got that, we, we know. But we don't. And even if you think you, 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 you have it already, there's more to have. And so this time as we take communion, I would like us to really just absorb that as much as possible. Yes, we are doing this communally. That's beautiful. We need that. But there's a, the, the you and Jesus relationship. Does God be touching souls? Let him in. Let him in. And so we at, at Woodland Hills, we, don't do a, we, we have an open communion, which just means that um, we don't do a background check on anybody. If you consider yourself a Christian and would like to take communion with us, we'd love to have you take communion with us. All right. Um, uh, all of the, there's four different stations around here, and we're just going to do another time of worship. And I want us to stay just so centered on the, the love that's revealed on the cross and that it was for each one of us, and just to drink that so deeply. And then when, in the, as we worship, when you feel ready, uh, just go and, and, and take communion. Um, you, if you're here with some people, you can go together and take it uh, as a group. You can take it individually. We don't have a lot of rules around this. Uh, just be respectful of other people's space. But the main thing is, let's have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, who just rejected the, set aside the shame. The shame, he endured that. And all the pain, he endured that. Yes, for humanity, for the world, for all the tribes, wonderful. But tonight, 
he did that for you. Will you believe that? He did it for you. He loves you. He adores you. All of his attention is on you. You're the apple of his eye. You're his cherished one, his favored one. He adores you. He will do and has done everything possible to be in a relationship with you. Drink it deeply. Open up and let him in. Lord, Holy Spirit, flood this place for this next half hour or so as we just turn our eyes to the cross and drink deeply from the wellspring of the beautiful good news and glorious love that it represents. Help us to open up, to let you flow in, to heal our wounds, to set captives free. And the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup that they were going to drink, or the bread that they were going to eat first, and he said, this bread is the bread of the new and everlasting covenant. And so whenever you take this bread and eat from it, do it in remembrance of me. And this is the body of Jesus, which was broken for us. So when we come together, let's remember what he was willing to do for us, what he was willing to do for you, what he was willing to do for me. And then in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. And so as often as you take this cup and drink from it, you do this together, do it in remembrance of me. Remember the blood that was shed. Remember the price, what it cost God to restore us, to reconcile us. But it was for the joy of being with you and being with me that he did that. And as we do this, as we remember what he's done for us, he's poured out for us, let's reciprocate and pour ourselves out for him and invite him into every nook and cranny. Amen.